this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the Jay Allen Show. You know how it is. It's another Tuesday. And we are here spending some time together and talking about what is going on inside of the world of safety. Anyways, a couple things before we get started too deep into this whole thing. Right now, we have a contest going on at safetyfm.com forward slash contest. All you have to do is go over there and take a look at what is going on. The contest consists of the following two one hour sessions with yours truly, where we get to discuss a little bit about everything, whatever you want to discuss. Also, before I forget, our safety reconfigured class is backed by popular demand. So we'll be doing that on March the 31st at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you want to join us for that, you can go to safetyfm.io for some more information. Anyway, so let's get us started right now on what's going on today. Today, we have the return of Regina McMichael. She comes back and we're going to sit down and talk about some things that are going on inside of the industry. Last time she was here, she told us the story on how she got involved inside of the world of safety. Just in case you're not familiar with Regina, she is the president of the Learning Factory Incorporated. The safety, passion-driven education and training company, she has over 30 years experience in safety and health education, training, communication, and leadership. But let's get all that to the side and let's get this conversation started right now with the safety training ninja herself, Regina McMichael, right now on The Jay Allen Show. The Jay Allen Show is streaming now on safetyfm.live. We've spoken before, but I have to ask, with you going through everything that's going on right now, how has your life changed over the last year? Um, gosh, I don't think we have enough time to cover all that. <laughs> <laughs> we can always make it though. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. You can add it out. You can add it out. <laughs> interesting stuff. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny. I was, I was literally four days, uh, from doing a joint launch with another consultant, uh, with, with L'Oreal of the Americas, four days, uh, from a multi-country, multi-year, uh, multi-effort, uh, live delivery. And on February 28th of last year, um, L'Oreal stopped all international travel and we were going to del- start delivering on March 2nd. So it was like, or, you know, whatever, close enough. And, uh, and it was, it was a really tough choice for them because they were one of the first companies to make that global choice. And, um, and it was really funny because it's like, okay, just, you know, we're going to stop this. And, and we'd been building it for years and we're about, I mean, literally boxes of stuff taken on airplanes and the whole thing. And, um, so, uh, it, it's funny cause it's so, uh, Jay Harf with, uh, with L'Oreal and then, uh, Dan Snyder with safety mentor, we've been working on this project and, uh, immediately L'Oreal goes into response to COVID and starts doing their thing. And, and I basically sat around for months. The only, the only outside customer action I had was people saying, yeah, it's canceled or we're going virtual. How do we do that? And so I was just kind of filling in the pieces and I, I really kind of like lost contact with the world. I lost how to keep track of ca- uh, calendars and, and, and do stuff and like bills were coming in and I'm like, Oh God, mail, mail. Yeah, I should look at that. And so I, I went, had a really long downtime and then L'Oreal was ready to, uh, to start cranking back up. And when they first talked about going virtual, I, I was like, no, 
I'm like, I, I don't want to do it. We've done too much work. It's, it's, it's really going to be, you know, great live and face to face and all this. And, and then another two months pass and I go, yes, it's not going to get better. <laughs> and so, so yeah, so we flipped it and I'll tell you, it took us more time to flip the program to a good virtual program, not just a virtual program, but a good one it took us more time and effort to flip it than it did to create the original product. Because but there's a, but there's a couple of things going on there too. Besides of this major things occurring, but not so long prior to that, you had made a pretty big move too. You had moved yes. from a different state, moving into a totally new state. Yes, 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 and 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 that part it was the best thing that could have happened to me for COVID because um, you know I moved Welcome to Florida. Florida. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And, and, uh, yay, no state tax. And, um, and and yeah, it really turned out to be a great thing because if I had been where I was before um, with COVID, I would have really become um, super alienated. But my best friends kind of live next door to me right now, and so we we share a bubble. And uh, and I haven't got a puppy, so uh, which they'll watch if I ever get back on the road again. But yeah, so. <laughs> well, 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 let me ask there because you did reference something, and I don't, and I don't want to get sidetracked. It is important that, of course, you're close to to somebody that's that important to you, your friends. But you said something that's very crucial. There is a huge difference there between having a class, uh, uh, a piece of content that's available virtual, to a good or great piece of content. Oh, it's and, it's, and being is this is what you do, and you train, and you talk about the art of training, and talk to people about this. Can you explain the difference? Yes. It's about measurement and engagement. Now, it's about that with face-to-face too, but we've been lying to ourselves for years about whether our face-to-face has been been effective. We're like, they came, they showed up, we checked the box, nobody got killed the next day. Awesome success. <laughs> <laughs> Sad but true. And mm-hmm. with virtual, it's, it's much, much harder um, to say they were engaged. It's much, much harder to get people to comment and participate and be involved. And so we, and, and part of this big face-to-face one was a lot of interaction, a lot of activities. They were going to have a, a capstone project at the end. This is leadership development. It's not just come in and listen to us talk. you got to do something in order to move yourself on the spectrum of leadership. And so it was like, okay, how are we going to do all that independent? Because now they were going to be in work groups and they're going to have camaraderie and there was going to be nice natural competition. And now everything's got to be hundred percent by yourself and you got to turn it in. And now we have to write comments back to you on your assignments, which even the concept assignment sounds really awful. Cause everyone's like, hello Ew. school teacher. <laughs> yeah. They're like homework. Wait, I know I call it Oyo on your own, you know, it's homework, but we're trying to, we're trying to you know, develop a euphemism for it. So it, it goes down a little bit easier, but so yeah, so everything had to have um, a trackable, measurable component so you could say to the client, you know, everyone's engaged, everyone's participating, uh, so-and-so is struggling, uh, we need to follow up on this, they really didn't get it. And, um, and it started off, you know, with a lot of exploration, because I hadn't even done that level of blended virtual before. I had done virtual, and I had done better than the average virtual, but not to the degree that we really blew this thing out. And, and it was, um, it took a lot more people. I could have never done it alone as myself, at least not in a year. Um, and it took, uh, it took a lot of different expertise. It took, uh, it took two individuals under the age of 30 for sure, because they're like, you know, we can create that source in Google docs and then we can do a mail merge in order to turn it into this. And it can go back at this way. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so, um, 
Uh, English, please. No, I'm joking. I know. I was like, don't, don't we need a macro for that? And they're like, what's a macro? And I'm like, okay, merge is good. So, um, so yeah, so it was, it was phenomenal. And, but here's like the coolest part is we finished the first stage at the end of last year. And, uh, and then we immediately had to start building phase two, which we always had a plan on doing. And so we were building phase two, but after we finished phase one, instead of sending these people home back to their businesses after uh, spending two days together face to face, instead we had all of this written documentation. And if you want to find out about the research behind it, talk to Snyder, cause he's like totally on that side of the house. But we found, we had all this information and we saw that like the projects they were creating to, to, document and demonstrate their leadership growth, it fell into three very unique categories. We found that um, just the process of doing a heavy blended learning virtual program identified holes in, and in, in, in Jay from L'Oreal will tell you this, you know, holes in where he thought they had things going on, but, but the virtual world has exposed opportunities. And, uh, and all of a sudden we were like, okay, we got to shift gears. So it went from, you know, we had these rent, you know, created cohorts of working group kind of thing. And now all of a sudden we see that there's actual projects that that link up into major categories and so we've started creating these new pods and so one of the pods is professional development because so many people put training and development and growth on their on their capstone projects and other people were doing major system stuff and other people were doing environmental stuff and so you know we had to rework it but because we had written documentation because we recorded everything because we had standards that everyone had to meet as part of their training, as opposed to just showing up that day and maybe staying awake, they actually had to turn stuff in. And and, um, and mind you, L'Oreal also, even before it was virtual, uh, made active, appropriate participation in this as part of their performance goals. So, which was a game changer. You, it, that's very rare to get. And so, you know, we had real stuff and we could say, this person is awesome. They're on track. They know what they're doing. We could say this person needs a little bit of help, or we should, we should link up these two people based on the virtual stuff that we were getting. We had small group webinars. We had big group webinars. We had them watch, you know, YouTube videos and make comments and feedback and identify areas of growth and all of that stuff that if you were in a face-to-face room with 30 people, maybe two or three people would raise their hands and you'd have those people who were primarily engaged. Then you have the people that maybe engage in smaller groups. And then you have the folks that'll never say a word, but if they've got to turn stuff in and their boss is expecting that as part of their performance, suddenly you get these, these words, these ideas, these concepts from people that you were like, whoa, sleeper there. Holy cow. Look at this stuff. And so it's been, we've, we've literally been able to identify individuals to the degree that, you know, we were like, wow, this person has a lot more value than maybe we thought in this area or that area or whatever, just by virtue of how they were responding to stuff. And, you know, is it easy? No. You know, does it require some real work and, and some real departmental effort? Yeah. Regular training does true too. And, and proof and measurement and regular training was also going to be a lot of work, just different kinds of work. But we, we've been able to finally kind of show that this can be done. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, 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 go right ahead. <laughs> oh, I, th- I thought your hand was going yeah, I, I was, I was moving. I was moving the stand. <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the things is uh, uh, that 
we with the measurement and everything is obviously when you're working for a company as, as large as L'Oreal or, or any company, you want to be able to prove it worked. And with that idea that, you know, you didn't count a body the next day and that's the best you have for proof. It's been one of the biggest problems in the training world for years is how do we show our value in training and, and how do we how do we prove that, you know, we need to invest in our professionals and in the industry more to make them them better and better. And, uh, and, and so this really kind of leads to that. And then what ended up happening is because so many people identified training development and design as part of their capstone projects, Jay said, well, you're going to have to teach them all ninja then. And I'm like, you know, okay, that sounds good. So I took uh, an eight hour face-to-face ninja program. I fit, flipped it very quickly for a already planned eight hour face-to-face and did it virtually last year and made some adapt- adaptations, but, but really didn't have enough time to go, you know, I'm getting into this thing. I've now flipped it into 12 hours. And it's, so it's four hours, three weeks at a time with work on your own. And I'm literally going through everything they write. So when they say, here are my three sample learning objectives, I'm providing specific feedback that says, hey, you're on this, or maybe tighten this up, or maybe think about this, or is this the angle you really want to go with? And so mm-hmm. we're literally giving them stuff back so that they can tangibly hold it. And, and they'll be able to say, I'm moving on the spectrum of professionalism. But then they can also say that to their employer when they ask, you know, what's this bill for? And uh, whether it be an internal bill or, or an external one from someone like me, we, we still have to justify why we're doing training, why we need to invest in more time and energy. You know, conversely, I've had people, jobs I would have said no to before COVID, that they've come to me and they go, we got to flip this. And I'm like, I'll only participate in flipping it, you know, adding audio to PowerPoint, basically. I'll only participate in doing that if you promise this is part of a greater flip, you know, that you're going to do more virtually and you're going to clean it up later, but you have to stay functioning today. And they're like, yes, yes, yes. And I said, okay, because I'm not going to just, I'm not just going to take some audio and stuff it with some PowerPoints and expect people to learn. It's not going to happen. You know, but don't so- you think to, to an extent that that's a lot of the things that we see inside of different organizations currently where their, their LMS will say, quote unquote, is a PowerPoint presentation that has some audio to it, or it's somebody's recording of mm-hmm. somebody was just standing in front of a group of people said some things or might have even been in front of a camera and said some things and all of a sudden now answer these five questions and you have become a safety professional or you are yeah. credited in X. Yeah, that just makes my <laughs> You're cringing as I'm saying No, I'm shuddering, I'm shuddering. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. When it, so before COVID, uh, one of my, my longtime colleagues, friends, uh, first person I ever did my, my keynote wife left behind for um, back in South Carolina, uh, he had come to me probably four or five years ago. And he says, you know, our, our new orientation program, new employee orientation, it's overwhelming. It's this, it's this. And so I, I gave him a quote and he's like, ouch, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to justify that? And I'm like, I said, do your numbers. I said, you know, how many times are you doing new employee orientation every week, every month? How many people are doing it around the size of the company? They're a regional company in the South. And, and literally he was able to prove that like he would recoup his money back in like two weeks. And I said, you know, that's, that's, that's business acumen, baby. That's, that's, that's <laughs> into the ROI. And uh, we took an, uh, I think it was a six or eight hour new employee orientation with all the PowerPoints and videos and all this kind of stuff. And it was face-to-face with some, some video work. We took it down to a 28-minute new employee orientation video. Wow. 
And, and I, and I said, I said, you get what this means, right? And he goes, yep, that's what I'm paying you for. And so this is, a, <laughs> this is an electrician. And they wanted to make sure that they went through their, their, their kind of code of ethics, their, their 10 components, their 10 pillars. And then they wanted to hit like the top six um, killers, uh, the things that you really needed to know. And, and I said, okay, so your electricians, you, you get two minutes on electrical safety. That's all you get, two minutes on fall protection two minutes on confined space entry. I said, do you understand what that means? And he goes, yes, it means that we have to train more later instead of on the first day. And I'm like, yes, yes, because I don't remember anything from the first day. So I've been begging companies to do that. I said, get rid of that eight hours of safety orientation and just prohibit them from doing anything that you consider hazardous until they've had that face-to-face training by their supervisor of whom you outfit with the capabilities. I said, but, you know, making them sit through eight hours or a 10-hour OSHA card before they can walk on your job site, they're not any safer than they were two days prior. But that's such a common practice, though. That's that's the interesting part. So when you bring this up and you say, okay, here's 28 minutes, you've changed the way that the program's worked. He's excited. How are the people that he reports to? What did he give you any feedback on that on how they yeah, how they yeah. interacted? Mm-hmm. Actually, it was really funny because um they loved it and 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 this is a, a pretty special company. They they really 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 care about their people. So when I said to him, you know, I need a bazillion pictures because for me to animate this thing with pictures of your people doing your things and talking about your pillar and culture and things like that, you know, I need pictures to to uh, prove that. And so he's that client that could send me a, a Dropbox connection with. 500 pictures taken at safety day, taken at, you know, new employee orientation day, taken during training all over the, the, the Southern Southeastern United States. So we were able to build a, the most uplifting program. And it was more about welcome to us. And we really do care about you and safety matters than it was about don't do this and don't do this because basically fall protection was here are three or four real basic rules and you can't do any of those yet. And you need to talk to your supervisor if, if, you know, and if you get asked to do something, your, your answer is no. And so it was, it was actually very freeing and simplifying to take all of that away. Now, yeah, you still have to build the parts where the supervisor has to train people, but we should be building those pieces into place anyway. The safety people shouldn't be doing new employee orientation. It costs too much money. It's a waste of time. You get them out onto the job three days later, you're going to have to tell them the same stuff again anyway. So, I mean, and honestly, from a production and, and money standpoint, it's a much better idea to get rid of it. But OSHA and legal issues have made us so frightened that we're like, oh, no, we can't do anything. And I, I had a client years and years ago, and he's like, well, we got to have, uh, gotta have uh, heat prep. Got to have heat prep in it. And I said, well, you only have to have heat prep in certain months of the year for new employee orientation. You know, you could wait and do it later. No, you got to have it no matter what, because they're going to look for it. And I remember asking his boss and I said, I said, why is he so scared about this? And he goes, oh, another company he worked for got cited for it. And I said, oh, great. I said, so our entire safety initiative is driven by fear from a previous citation. Compliance like, capitalism. Welcome oh, aboard. It's crazy. <laughs> Makes me crazy. So- so with everything going on, so you have this that comes up, you're, you have to convert to virtual, getting everything started. You made the big move, but we're leaving something out of the out of the box here. Prior to this, about a year before all of COVID shut down, you decided to take a director position at the BCSP. 
I so how, <laughs> how do you come up with the free time to do this? Luckily, they went virtual too. <laughs> so I actually, yeah, I just my vote is up for uh, for my my two year renewal. So yeah, um, I don't know about you, but like this last year uh, went by so slow, and so there, and, and I don't have any like real memories from it. So everything feels like only a year ago, but it's really two years ago because COVID ate like twelve months of my life and didn't give me any real memories. <laughs> and, and I'm sure that that's not true for everyone, but for someone who got on a plane seventy percent of the time, my 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 existence was wiped out. And, um, so I know cause people are like, Hey, we'd love to interview on how you're surviving COVID. And I'm like, you're not going to interview me on surviving COVID. I don't know if I will. And I mm-hmm. really didn't know at the beginning of it, but no, um, yeah. So with the BCSP stuff, it was, uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, we flipped that to virtual. They had their research conference that was coming into play, uh, last fall that had to get delayed. It's going to get delayed again. Um, we're actually prepping up for our, our spring, um, our spring board meeting. So that will be done uh, virtually. We did our fall meeting last year and, uh, and the spring meeting last year. And so I, yeah, there's new board members. I've never met face to face. I've only met them virtually and it's already kind of tough because you only get together so many times a year. And now it's like, now we've missed the first couple of chances and, you know, um, people who are so supportive of the organization of, you know, they've retired out of their positions, their volunteer positions. And it's like, you didn't even get to hug them goodbye. And so it's, uh, it's been, it's been challenging. It's been challenging. This is the Jay Allen show. Hey, have you ever wanted to hear what's going on around in the world of safety and you're not able to do so? Have you ever wanted to take a listen to what exactly is going around in the world of safety? What if we called that thing around the safety pod? And we told you month over month what is happening in the mix. Would you care to know what would it be worth to you? Now, here's the fun part. Besides that you can find out exactly what's going on inside of the world of safety, there's also other information available there. Stuff that you can start using as early as today. How about you give us a look? Go to our website, safetyfmplus.com. That's safetyfmplus.com to find out what exactly is going on inside of the world of safety, around the world of safety, and inside of the world of safety. And don't forget to tell them that Jay Allen sent you. I'll see you on the other side. Make sure to join the revolution. And we are back on the Jay Allen Show on Safety FM. So with you seeing now the challenges across the board with everything that you're doing, here's my question. You have a new safety professional that's coming into the business. They went to school. They've got some accreditations, went to the different organizations that they can get accredited. What's the glimmer of hope that you can give them, especially coming into something where there's some places that are not hiring? There are, I mean, I'm, let's say we're new to the field and coming in. What can you tell them? Well, one, I know people are hiring. And, um, and, and so here's my greatest glimmer of hope. And it's, pre, it's pre-COVID, but I still think it, it's indicative of greater things. So I met a young, um, a young woman who was um, in a program out in the Southwest, or excuse me, Northwest. And uh, she had uh, come in on some of my virtual, no, it wasn't pro, pre-COVID now that I think about it, it was COVID. She sat in on some of my ASSP virtual presentations last summer. And she reached out to me afterwards and she goes, you know, could, could you take a couple of minutes and talk to me? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So we were chatting about it and she was saying, oh, I, I need to get an internship, but no one's going to take me. And it's the only way I'm going to graduate. And, you know, I got this challenge and this challenge. And I said, well, how, what about a virtual internship? And she goes, do they exist? I said, I think they do now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, I, I told her, I said, you have to put together a description of what you need. 
and you get it on LinkedIn and I will, I will do my best to push it forward so that people can contact you. She got a virtual internship. So she never has to leave her home or her schooling in the Pacific Northwest. And she found it through LinkedIn by putting herself out there and, and laying it on the line and saying, yeah, I'm asking for a lot. I want you to pay me from really far away without ever having to meet me, but welcome to the new world kind of thing. And, and it worked. And so I think, um, I think that's happening. I think, I think we need more advice for the existing professionals than the new ones because they are they are just getting blasted with all of these new skill sets. I mean, you know, suddenly suddenly you got to know how to install walk through thermometers and and make sure the maintenance package is right so that you can let people into the building. And and yesterday your biggest first aid concern was was whether or not you had enough band aids. And so you know we've pushed the 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 scope of what a safety professional does so far with with COVID. Um, and so the, the next step is the is our leadership aspect. What are we doing as survivors? Uh, of of COVID so heroes of survive you know because I think the safety people are heroes just as much as as many of the others uh, who've done great things and so it's like okay what are you doing now to reflect back on yourself to say what did I learn from this how do I manage from a distance how do I run meetings from a distance how do I run meetings where everyone's wearing masks and I can't see their face to see whether or not they're upset you know how do I how do I conduct training with only six people max in the room or you know whatever the new policies and procedures are I think. I, I think we will see some of the best managers rise up and I think we'll see some changes uh, in upper management and some of the bigger firms and more well-known ones because the people who could not pivot and adapt during COVID, they're going to prove unnecessary because I don't think this is our last big deal. And heck, you know, even if it wasn't for COVID last year, we had crazy weather. We had it again this year. You know, we had entire states shutting down and, 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 and completely unexpected. So the concepts of supply chain and the relationship of safety to supply chain and, and how you do things in a completely different mold, I think it's really the test for the future leaders. And I think the younger, excuse me, the rising professionals, maybe not necessarily younger, but the rising professional, the emerging professional, they're going to have more uh, adaptability because they've gone through school with this, because they might be younger and, you know, it's not going to, they're going to be like, oh yeah, which pandemic was that? I mean, by the time they're, all right. <laughs> don't say that, don't say that. <laughs> no, just, I'm hoping you're really good at it by then. But, you know, so, that was the idea. So let's ask, so let me ask the strange question here, because here's where a lot of this is going to change too. So now the market becomes a little bit more competitive because now you're not competing just with the people in your local area. You might be competing with people from across the country. So there's been some things inside of the HR departments of the world that have come up with this. So let's say, for instance, I'm working in New York City, New York, and all of a sudden, hey, I decide that, hey, if I can work from home, I'm going to move to middle of nowhere, Alabama. Nothing against Alabama. Love Alabama. Do you think that these people deserve a pay cut because they have moved from New York City to Alabama? For doing I'm not the going there. Oh, come on. It's a question that's coming out. But here's the, here's the other portion. So think about the original portion of the question as you're taking a look at it. Now the competitive salary, does it change based yeah. on where the company's located or where the person's located? Well, I've experienced this personally when I, I had a job in the suburbs of Chicago and they allowed us to relocate back to South Carolina and they didn't take my s- suburban Chicago pay. So, so I know what that could feel like because I was like, you know, and it still would have been okay because South Carolina is a whole lot cheaper. Uh, conversely, I know other people right now who are making such moves and keeping their their San Francisco pay in this case. And uh, you know, I think I think 
I think it is up to the professional to prove their value. It, mm. it, that's really what it is. You're going to have to prove that value anyway to be able to say, I can do this job from someplace else effectively, even when we go back to whatever normal will be and, and, you know, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you may have to negotiate. You may have to say, I want to live in, in Podunk nowhere, and, but I'm going to have to fly back a lot. So I'll take the pay cut to cover the airline fees because, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't have it all. So, but yeah, I think, I think it's up to the safety professional to prove that they deserve what they're already getting if they want to move to a different location. But I think that's true for anything because so many businesses were going remote, but it was perceived for a lot of years that, that most safety people at the, on the, on the floor level had to be there, be there. And, and I still think that's true to some degree because, um, you have to connect with your people. They have to know you're there and that you're part of them, but does the corporate person need to be at a plant? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I, um, I, I, I certainly think not as much as they used to, if they got better at their job, which I hope they did. Hopefully they did with everything going on now. So with your company and you doing 70% traveling pre COVID, do you think that you'll go back to that lifestyle when things become the new normal? Or do you think that a lot of your, a lot of your organization now will be based off of virtual? Yes. <laughs> Great answer. Great answer. <laughs> so I, think, I think what it's going to allow to happen is um, the people that want me face to face will continue to bring me out face to face for those functions. But because things can be d- be done virtually now by people who didn't think they could do a virtual event before. Uh, I can I can become um, easier to obtain, you know, because if, if I can just sit at my computer here and, and do a keynote for you, the cost isn't the same. You know, I have to be honest about that. I don't have to spend three days getting there, doing it and flying back and all that kind of stuff. So the cost isn't the same, but I can also fit two or three in a day. And so there's some, some real value associated with that. So I, I think it's going to be kind of tiered. It's like, you know, do you want the virtual presenter and, and, and are you ready to do the work to do a virtual presentation and take the risk of what virtual can mean? Because once we get back to new normal, whatever that is, I love how everyone qualifies that term no matter what. Cause we're like, it, cause well, wait, we're all hoping we're like <laughs> right. new normal. It's going to be awesome. Um, I, I that was 2021. That hasn't worked out yet. <laughs> not so much. I know. I know. I'm still plagued. I'm still plagued. Um, so yeah, I think I think for those groups that that mastered the virtual skill and are ready to keep going with that, I, I think that I can still offer that. I, I push back on doing my um, my big keynote virtually. I push back for almost a year. And finally, one location convinced me to do it. And um, several people reached out afterwards and they said, listen, we felt the same thing when you stared into the camera as when you stared into the audience. And I'm like, awesome. You know, that's 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 really cool. But so I think I think um, I I will go back to traveling how much I don't know. I think that will be a direct result of um, I think it's going to be a direct result of how survivable major meetings were, you know, like how, how is ASSP and NSC on a regional level, a local level, uh, uh, a, uh, a country level, uh, you know, international stuff. How well are those groups doing financially? What is their program going to look like next year or the year after that? And what will they be doing in terms of bringing speakers in? And what does that mean? Because I don't think, I don't think we know yet um, the impact it had on organizations that that most of their budget relied on convention dollars, which is a lot of trade associations. A lot of them. I mean, tons of them work out in that particular fashion. I mean, I will take it easy based on who I'm having the conversation with, but (laughs) some of the things I understand 
the pricing didn't seem correct for virtual compared to in-person, at least in my opinion, not saying that that's yours, just saying my opinion. And I think, I think that it kind of left some bad taste in some people's mouth in regards to some of those conferences that did not actually adjust the correct price to the correct price point, according to some. I, I think if they were already in it, you know, like if it was already booked and planned and all that kind of stuff, um, we don't really even know like how much they still were left holding the bag because we don't know about their insurance policies of being able to back out of contracts because, you know, nobody paid attention to the pandemic clause and contracts. <laughs> right. And so that was a big thing. And, and, and when things first started closing, people are like, what does this mean? And I said, well, if the state declares an emergency and then your contract language, depending on what it says and all of that is relevant. And so I think, I think for those folks, they couldn't do it any other way. You know, they were already financially in it and, and that deep. But I do think that they need to be reasonable that if they're going to go full on virtual going forward, that they can't charge $1,000 for a day of virtual. It's just not the same. If, for simply as you don't even have to rent the space like you normally do. You don't have to pay, buy the food. So we know that those basic things aren't there. Right. And then... Um, you know, I've had to, I, I, you know, I don't want it and I don't want to admit it, but you know, someone calls me and says they want me to do something virtual. I start off at my regular price. It ain't working. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <I'm> like, okay. <laughs> and no. then they throw out a number and I'm like, all right, I can, I, I can live with that. You know, you're not, you're not huge. You're, you're, you're struggling to survive. I get that. We'll work with it. So, well, and, 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 and I think that that's where some of the difference actually takes place now as well is where people are not seeing where some of the cost is. Let's say, for instance, you don't have a setup inside of your inside of your office space, your household, or wherever you're actually doing the, a potential recording from. You have to have access to a studio, so there is some pricing there that people don't kind of normally yeah. recognize. And some of these studios are extremely expensive to rent out, depending what all you have inside of there. So I always find that interesting. Well, now, I've, I've dropped mm -hmm. several thousand to build my. I've redone my office three times since COVID. <laughs> You know, and I've dropped several thousand dollars trying to buy the equipment and it's, it's still baffling me on a daily basis. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, and that's legit. It's like, if, if, if you want a pro, then you pay for a pro. And if, if you and your peeps are okay with, with blurry images and, and pixelated and, you know, whatever, that's okay too. If everybody's fine with that, it's just, what standard do you want? And, and what are you doing as the buyer of professional speaking to make sure you get what you need. So talking about that, you've seen a couple of different things. There's been the live virtuals, which are actually live. Then there's been the ones that have been called live virtuals, but they're pre-recorded speeches with the normally the presenter inside of the box or a chat box where they can answer questions. The fear, of course, is the technology might fail mm -hmm. during a live session. I know you've done both. Is there <laughs> one that you prefer over the other? I thought both went awesome. And I was truly, truly impressed and surprised. I didn't like the pre-record and then have the chat box thing. But you know what ended up happening is people could ask us all questions right then and there without interrupting the flow. So if you wanted to just listen, you could, or you could chat directly with the speakers. And when um, in, I, I was doing a lot of, of stuff with multiple speakers, uh, it was great because if we were live, then the other two speakers could jump in and answer questions. And if we weren't live, then all three of us could answer questions. Um, I think it's it's very difficult to do it, um, even though I've been doing like live webinars and stuff like that for, for 10 years plus. Um, it is very difficult to, you've got to be able to watch that chat box. You've got to be able to make sure that your camera's still going good. Uh, you've got to have some cueing for yourself to kind of like determine 
if things are happening the way they're supposed to be happening and what you kind of envision. And so both can be challenging. And I don't believe that everybody has the skill set to do all of those. Some, some people need a lot more handholding. Uh, and then in defense of those folks, uh, I have to reboot my computer like four or five times a day because I do a WebEx and then I do a GoToMeeting and then I do a Zoom. And um, it's just, <laughs> this is all getting caught on audio. So do you want me to, do you want me to redo that? You're good. You're good. (laughs) So, yeah, so I have to reboot constantly because uh, the peripherals and all of the the settings and, you know, just today you and I had difficulties and you're like, well, turn off the sound on your web browser. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And and I guess that's the the strange thing about how this technology has has worked. And I mean, and and it's advanced as well at the same time. So you reference there that you don't mind doing either or, and you reference that some people don't have the skill set to be able to do everything at once. Would you, if you were looking back to the past when you're first starting, would you, um, would you consider having a moderator do the chat box? Nah, I'm too much of a control freak. <laughs> you just admitted this. You know this, right? We're, right. We have this recorded now. I know. You can actually no, use this later on. <laughs> no, it's not a secret. It's not a secret. Um, no, really, for me, the chat coming in is an integral part of my connection, particularly with people I can't see. So when something pops up, you know, I personally, when doing this kind of live stuff with chats and everything else, I think that uh, a great speaker has to be ready to be able to adapt and me go, oh, gosh, you know what? I, you know, I was just talking about this slide, but this awesome question just came in from Jay. And uh, Jay, Jay was asking this. And, ah, oh, that is an awesome question. Let me answer that before I move on, because I bet other people are going to want to hear it. You've got to be able to roll with it, answer it, then be able to jump back on your topic and keep on going. This, uh, you know, I, I have, I have, you know, companies that have brought us in and they're like, you know, would, do you want all your Q and A at the end? And I'm like, no, they might've forgotten by then. And it's like, well, you know, do you want us to read the chat box questions off to you? I'm like, no, I'm perfectly competent. I just, I feel like, um, that's part of my full commitment to the learner. That that's, they deserve that from me. Now, maybe if I was super duper rich or I was the head of some government agency or something, I might have somebody do it for me. I could see, I could see where maybe that would happen one day. But uh, for me right now, I just, I don't want other people messing in that relationship. I don't want third and fourth parties in there. I want to be able to connect directly with the learner, even if I have no clue who they are. No, that's a question that I normally get quite a bit about the moderator, non-moderator, depending on how you look at it. And then the other thing that normally pops up, which we slightly touched on, is how the conversation can change based on the question that comes in if it's live opposed to pre-recorded. So yeah. I appreciate you actually answering both. Now, we did start off the original portion of the conversation that you had built a platform for L'Oreal in regards of how they could actually do virtual trainings. Will you have anything available like that for the public? I am working with uh, with Dan Snyder at Safety Mentor, and Safety Mentor is actually housing the platform. So we're actually uh, using L'Oreal and using Safety Training Ninja as the proof test. You know, how do we do this? How do we make it work? All this kind of stuff, kind of break it. And so um, it will be available going forward. And that was kind of the plan. It's like, you know, this is how we have to do things going forward. And um, I just can't see... I can't see a company investing in the content necessary to do something amazing and then throw another $50,000 for travel on it if we can show that it can be just as effective, if not more effective. And the feedback we've gotten, one of the questions in the survey was, um, and we we used a very different kind of survey based on um, some new thinking in the learning world. Um, And um, uh, this is a guy named Tallheimer, and and he's like, you know, quit saying on a scale of one to five how much you liked this virtual program, you know, get in there and really get specific. So so instead, you you develop uh, answers 
kind of Likert light, but you develop these answers in advance so that they meet certain definitions of your own criteria. So, you know, uh, I would recommend this course um, only if it was live in the future. Yeah, I would recommend this course um, virtually with the following changes. Uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe I learned this much looking at my computer. So, you know, we really tried to change the way the perspective was as opposed to people just circling all of the numbers, you know, in one giant circle. Um, and so, so that's been really key. But what's been amazing for us is now that we're pushing this learning and development side of L'Oreal, on several occasions, the folks who are working on this are going, and then we're going to do like what you guys did. And they were like, and then we're going to do that thing like what you did and we'll have like homework like you did. And, and so we're like, oh my God, it worked. It worked. You know, I mean, like we thought it worked, but now they're actually telling us how they're going to mirror the work that we did in their virtual um, distribution of materials. And that's been, that, that was just nuts. Myself and several other individuals um, behind the scenes were on the call and all of us are like <laughs> in, using Slack in the background going, oh my God, oh my God, this is it. It's working. It's working. So it, it, I truly believed it could always work, but nobody wanted to invest in the test and COVID forced that. And so I'm so lucky that I was in the right place at the right time with L'Oreal for them to be able to say, let's do this. So with that being said, do you have a rough date on when this might actually come to flourishing for the general public? Well, Ninja will be released <laughs> for the general public in mm -hmm. probably the next 30 days. Okay. So I'll be doing open registration for Ninja, probably 25 to 30 people max, uh, 12 hours long, four hours, three week, three days in a row, three weeks in a row, whatever the client wants, or we'll, we'll preset it up. Now, when uh, we will probably, oh gosh, I'm, I'm guessing here. Um, you know, if someone came no up- No pressure. Yeah, no. If someone came up today and said, yeah, we want this, we need to start moving on it, we'll say, yeah, okay, we'll start tomorrow. Uh, but, you know, when will we have the the- proven data research that we need to give to companies that say this really works it's going to be a little bit longer before we've got that all kind of compiled and we're working on that huge research project so we can actually say this proves that this stuck this proved that this worked this connected with them they have this memory they've already implemented this procedure whatever the case so that data to support it if now if you already believe me and you want to hire me that's fine we can do that part but the have to actual data part. But I mean, for years, I've been pushing companies towards this. And I remember uh, several years ago, a very, very large company whose name I won't recommend that I was, I was saying, you know, this is where we need to go. And this is how we need to take our training to the next level and da, da, da. And they looked at me and they said, wow, do you have any data on that? And I said, your blah, 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 you collect the data. People need your data, not the other way around. I'm like, if you won't do it, then, then who will? And so L'Oreal is the one who's willing to do it, to invest in it so that others can follow suit and believe in the data. And, and that's been one of the issues because people are like, I'd love to do that. Is there, is, is, there, is there a pattern I can follow that somebody else did? And I'm like, no, it's just me with really good ideas. <laughs> no one will do it. It's too scary. And now COVID forced it. And that's what's so awesome. Now, Regina, if people want to know more about you and what you have going on, where can they go to find out more information? Safetytrainingninja.com, reginamcmichael.com is probably the best thing. Or look me up on LinkedIn. I haven't been as, as active as I should be uh, with since... But you've been busy. You've been slightly a little bit busy. <laughs> a little bit busy lately, yeah. But I uh, actually did a post with uh, a picture of um, all of the, the, the ninja class. They were all holding the book. And, I uh, saw it. It was, it was a beautiful picture. <laughs> I know. Well, I was like, does everyone have their book? And they held it up. And I'm like, oh, screenshot that. That's awesome. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so it's, it's been amazing. And I never thought that I would use the book 
as a text to teach a course. I ne- that was never in my mind when I wrote it. And now like, to be able to do that is just like amazing. So, well, Regina, I appreciate you coming on to the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Want more of the Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Safety FM. Changing safety cultures. One broadcast and one podcast at a time.